Thanks for tuning in to Charlottesville Soundboard. I'm today's host, Sarah Howarth. Soundboard airs every other Saturday at 6 a.m. on WTJU 91.1 FM and also comes to you as a podcast that belongs to the Virginia Audio Collective. This episode details winter weather and all the complications it can sometimes bring. Snow days are special, but they tend to come with real power and heat-related issues that often affect the Charlottesville community. Today we're talking with Erin O'Hare of Charlottesville Tomorrow about how we can better prepare for weather emergencies, as well as what resources are already in place for residents of Albemarle County. Stay tuned for more details about shutdowns, power outages, and what the city's power grid has to do with it all. So, Erin, just to start off, has your power gone out this winter? Because I know my house in Charlottesville has definitely had its fair share of complications. Yeah, I live in the Fry Spring neighborhood, and my power was out Monday the 3rd for most of the day, but it did come back on that night. What are the biggest complications you think we're seeing so far when it comes to having winter weather? I grew up in the Boston area up north where we get a lot more snow. And when I moved to Charlottesville in 2009, (laughs) that winter was the snowiest winter on record for Charlottesville. We got 56.5 inches that whole winter. Right. And so I was like, why does this place pretty much shut down when we get snow? And I've always wondered that. And I got to write a story about that for Charlottesville tomorrow. I talked to some local officials, public works folks. And then I also talked with Travis Koshko, the head meteorologist at CBS 19 News to answer that question. And so they've told me that some of the biggest complications here is basically that our snow is inconsistent, right? So sometimes we get 56.5 inches of snow. Sometimes we get 2.9 inches of snow over a whole winter. Average, we get about 18 and a half. So that is actually really hard to plan a budget for because for public works in Charlottesville, for instance, you know, getting two inches of snow is really different from getting a foot of snow. It's like that takes more people to clear the roads. It takes more people to treat the roads, more people to man the plows, to you know, cut down trees or chop up trees that fall in the street. So it's challenging to plan for that, to budget for that, because more people means more money, more salt, more brine means more money. If you use your plow more often, you're going to have to replace it more often. So that is kind of why things kind of shut down here in a way. And it's just easier as Travis told me like, okay, well, people are like, well, eh, It always goes away in a couple of days here, which it often does. So people are just like, oh, if they can, important to note that not everybody can stay home, but people who can are like, eh, we melted tomorrow. I'll just work from home today. But you know, it's better to stay off the icy roads if if you're not comfortable driving with that, right? And because our snowfall is so inconsistent here, not everyone has practice driving in the snow or walking in the snow or on the ice, which can be so dangerous. So you know, all of those things kind of go into the complications with winter weather here, which was interesting to me. I did not expect to find (laughs) anything particularly interesting for that story, but turns out there's very legitimate and curious reasons. Right. And like we mentioned a little bit earlier, one of those really big weather-related issues that a lot of people deal with is losing power, probably because we never know what we're going to get. We can't be too prepared. And for those of us who don't know, who controls the power and energy in Charlottesville and Albemarle County? So there are a few different 
power companies in our area actually have a map of electric service territories. So we've got Dominion. That's the biggest one. Then there's Appalachian Power Company. There's also Rappahannock Power Company and Central Virginia Energy Cooperative. So those are the four in in Charlottesville and Albemarle County. There might be another that has like a small portion. And it sounds like that's a lot of companies for just one area to kind of be in charge of. So what does it take for them to all kind of cooperate and get the power back on after a winter storm? So I'm still looking into this for a story that I'm working on. So I don't have a complete understanding that I can really parse out well for a listener quite yet. But my understanding is that when the power goes out, it's often because a tree falls on the power line or a tree falls on the power line that delivers power to underground utilities because some folks do have their utilities underground. And so when a tree falls on the line, you have to make sure that it's safe you know, to dispatch people to that area and they have to chop up the trees, which sometimes these trees are huge and that takes a really long time. And you have to be very careful around the power lines and also with a chainsaw because that's not something that just anybody can wield. Um, And, you know, then you have to cart that away and then they have to, you know, kind of restring the lines. And in some cases, what I've heard is that when like a pole that holds the generator or the line up goes down, which often will happen to like a tree will fall and hit the pole or a car might spin out on the ice and hit the pole or a giant gust of wind might hit the pole. And those poles are not always in voluminous supply. So I heard that recently one of the power companies had to wait days to get new poles from someplace in New Jersey. So there's a lot of work that goes into that. The flip side of it is some folks say that some of these companies could be better prepared. They could have poles on hand. They could, you know, kind of work proactively to clear some of the trees in the more rural areas around the power lines. But then there are going to be people who are like, no, don't do that. We need to save the trees. So it it is a really kind of complicated and complex thing that honestly I didn't I didn't even think of until I started looking into these stories. Yeah, wow, that's a long way for an electricity <laughs> pole to come to someone's rescue after a winter storm like that has taken place. Yes, so you're so right. It definitely seems like electricity is kind of a weird and complicated industry. And we don't get a choice about what company provides our power. Why is the energy sector set up like this in Virginia? So I don't know the answer to that yet. I'm I'm searching for someone to explain this to me this very week because I'm curious about that too. And I'm looking also for someone to put this in a national context for me. What I've been reading is that the United States power grid is really old and it hasn't been updated, upgraded in the ways that we need it to be for all the uses that we have for it right now. Like even 20 years ago, we weren't plugging in our laptops all the time. We weren't plugging in our phones. You know, our phones were were a totally different type of utility that didn't need that amount of electricity. So my understanding is that the American power grid in general is just, you know, it's old and it's overloaded. And that might be contributing to why we're having such frequent outages in certain areas. Yeah, that would actually make a lot of sense. And do you know what communities get their power back on first? And what about the communities that get their power back on last? So typically, 
And this is all by anecdotal, like word of mouth experience and having lived here for so long. Basically, if you live near the hospital or if you're on the same grid as the hospital, so UVA hospital, and then also there's Martha Jefferson, the old and the new one. The old one was in North downtown and their power grid is still pretty reliable. So if you live near a hospital, chances are if your power goes out at all, it won't be out for very long because the hospital is the first priority for turning things back on. After that, it tends to be the biggest grids because they serve the most people, which makes total sense. It also behooves the electric companies to turn on the grids with the most people first because then they can start charging for the energy again. So typically in you know Charlottesville City will also get power back before Albemarle County usually. So from what I've been hearing in working on these stories is that the more rural areas and the smaller grids in the rural areas will sometimes wait days. I'm working on a story right now about a community in southernmost Albemarle County. So in Schuyler, like right by Nelson County. And these folks were without power for six days after the most recent storm for, it seems like a number of reasons. And I have, you know, friends out in Earliesville, like up North in the County who they were also out for five days. And I think it's just a mix of of these things, you know, sometimes those roads are harder to access. They haven't been plowed yet. They're not first priority. And I did have someone from that community in, in southernmost Albemarle County saying, even if they're not necessarily the last priority, he said he often feels forgotten about when it comes to these, these power outages. Yeah, I can imagine. I have a couple of roommates who are from Earliesville and Rutgersville and their families were without power for about five days or so. And luckily they were able to get to hotels, keep themselves and their pets warm. But some people just don't have the resources to do that, which is kind of scary. It is. And well, you know, one potential solution for individuals short term is to get a generator, but that's not available to everyone either. Generators are very expensive. And then you also have to buy the propane to fuel the generator. So I know people who have bought generators for thousands of dollars, like three or $4,000, and then you have to pay to have them properly installed. And then you have to buy the propane. And, you know, I know that's probably more costly, but we're looking at upward of $1,000 to get like a generator that can help power things. And for people in the counties, they have to worry about well pumps and um, sometimes their livestock, like horses, you know, if you can't feed your livestock potable water, that's a problem, potentially dangerous. So there's all kinds of, of little things that I think we take for granted in our everyday lives that um, really rely on this type of infrastructure. Yeah, absolutely. The power went out in my house the other day and I immediately looked at, you know, what percentage my phone was on. And I was like, oh my God, I have to plug this in immediately. Like, what will I do without it? How will I communicate with people? Right. I'm the same way. It's like, oh, oh shoot, the power's out. Like, what if, you know, I don't have another alarm clock. Like that's my alarm clock now. I don't have like a little wind up one that I used to have when I was a kid. So yeah, it's a little um, concerning to me sometimes how reliable we are, but it's also the society we live in. Yeah, definitely. And besides generators and having the ability to leave their homes, how are community members kind of coping with these shutdowns and power outages? In other words, what can community members do to kind of better prepare for weather complications? Maybe the wind up alarm clock is a good idea sometimes. (laughs) Sure. Like, you know, having an extra charger for your phone, like one that you can charge up and then have on hand so that you don't have to plug your phone into the wall. You can use this 
battery powered charger, um, flashlights, candles, as long as they're used safely, you know, always having extra blankets on hand. The Southerly Mag did a really great story yesterday about how, you know, Southern communities who aren't used to very, very cold weather like this can better prepare. So that's Southerly Mag, they have great recommendations, things that I never would have thought of, you know, and growing up in in Boston, like the rooms in the houses are small. And so if you just close the doors between the rooms, you can keep all the heat in. Whereas in places that are typically warmer, the houses are designed as more open for better airflow in the summer. So it's, um, you know, working to create these, these pockets of heat where you can stay warm, um, having food on hand that, you know, isn't perishable. Also, one thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is that if it is really cold out, like if it's freezing or below, you can put the food from your refrigerator outside. So that is, you know, sometimes be like, oh no, I have ice cream in the freezer. And then I'm like, wait a second, I can just put that outside, (laughs) hang it from a bag somewhere so that, you know, raccoons can't get it. But um, yeah, those are all great ideas. And besides the level of people trying to help themselves and stay safe, What can local governments or the state even do to better help citizens when there is severe weather? Yeah. So the University of Virginia, the city of Charlottesville and Albemarle County, they all work together on the sort of combined emergency response. And this is in all weather. It's not just cold winter, whether it's a derecho or a windstorm. Website is www.communityemergency.org. And the phone number is 434 297-8415. And that's sort of a one-stop shop for updated emergency information. So that's where you can find city and county staffed warming stations where people who don't have power can go sit in a place that does have heat and electricity. Sometimes if it's say at a, a school or a rec center, there will be showers available, you know, spare chargers, Wi-Fi access, all of that. So City and county both will do that depending on the resources and the weather. And they're often staffed by social services folks who can sometimes offer a little more advice on, you know, even even more specific resources for those folks who might be out of power for a week or so. You know, it's like they will be able to direct folks in, you know, in the way of food banks, maybe to to replenish their food stock if they have a limited food budget every month, which many folks in our community do. So that that emergency management site is super helpful, communityemergency.org. And because not everybody will have power or internet access or even phone service during a, a weather event, it, it is really important that folks kind of keep tabs on their neighbors and their friends. It's like, hey, you know, give them a call and say, oh, I heard that there's this warming station open. This information just isn't for people experiencing it in the moment. It's great that we're, we can all be aware of this to share with community members and let everyone know what resources are out there. Yeah, that's a good point. That does sound like a really helpful resource. And so you mentioned that there have been pretty frequent power outages going on in remote Albemarle County earlier. Are these due to the weather related issues too, or could it be something more? That's what I'm trying to find out because some of what I've heard is that, you know, folks have been, have had six power outages since September, which is a lot. Another person told me that they had 26 power outages over the course of three years, which is also a lot. So I'm trying to find out if it's weather related or if it's something more infrastructure related, like the grid is old or 
maybe we don't have the most efficient ways to get power to people. So I don't, I'm, I'm really intrigued to find out what I find out. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, no, it could be so many different things. It sounds like, and I look forward to reading what you find out as well. Yeah. I can't wait for someone to actually give me an answer. <laughs> yeah. Crack the case wide open. <laughs> exactly. That'll yes. be really interesting. I've been seeing a lot online about how historically Black neighborhoods are weather-treated less and plowed less than other areas. Why might it be that these areas are experiencing more dangerous conditions and, more importantly, what can be done to help? Oh, yeah. So I haven't researched this directly, so what I'm going to share is based off of research that other folks have done and and anecdotal things, because I've heard the same and I don't live in one of those neighborhoods. So, you know, I haven't experienced it myself. However, what I do know is that Charlottesville's historically black neighborhoods like Tendham Page, Fifeville, you know, the Rose Hill area. In the past, those neighborhoods were denied utilities by power companies in the city. So that was another way that systemic racism affected people here. So Jordy Yeager and Andrea Douglas at the Jefferson School African American Heritage Center are actually looking into this very thing. They're researching which parts of the city were denied utilities and which utilities they were denied and for how long. And so therefore, those communities, their infrastructure is different, right? Like if you're denied electricity for however many years, the way that it works in your neighborhood is is not going to be the same as it is in historically white, wealthy neighborhoods. So that's really what I can say for certain as a, you know, as a white person who lives in a mostly white neighborhood, that is true that they were denied utilities. And I bet that's, that had something to do with the infrastructure, which persists to this day, you know, like that could be a reason why I'm thinking of some of the streets in those neighborhoods. They're really narrow. Are they harder for a plow to get down? I don't know. I've never driven a plow, but, (laughs) but I definitely know about the utilities thing. So that is, as for what we can do, it's if you feel like the city or, or if you live in the county, if they haven't come to your area yet, you know, say, hey, don't forget about us. And get, you can get your friends to say, hey, don't forget about my friends. It can sometimes be hard to advocate for oneself, especially when it feels like you're not being listened to. But it's important to do it and to just let people know that it's happening. Like awareness isn't always the solution, but it's the start of it, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. And thank you for sharing what you do know. It sounds like we're going to learn a lot more about these past two topics we talked about very soon, which should be a really good thing. Yes. Um, And I have my own questions about some of that infrastructure. I'm excited to see what Jordi and Andrea find out because, you know, I imagine that there will be work to be done to build on that research. I'm interested as well. And hopefully we can all be aware, like you said, the first step and find some way to help those communities be more safe when it comes to these winter related issues. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciated talking with you and hearing about all your great ideas and resources. And once again, (laughs) I'm looking forward to reading your upcoming articles on what we talked about and all the other stuff too. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much. This is great. Um, It's always fun to come on Soundboard. Listening to Charlottesville Soundboard here on WTJU 91.1 FM and the Virginia Audio Collective. Both are a service of the University of Virginia. However, opinions expressed on this show are not the positions of the university. 
WTJU is supported by the Southern Environmental Law Center, protecting Virginia's air, water, and natural treasures, and leading the way towards a healthy environment for all. Learn more at southernenvironment.org. Well, that does it for this week's edition of Charlottesville Soundboard, your source for news, culture, and community issues in Central Virginia. My name is Sarah Howarth. Our theme song is Kyoja Beat by Merwen Alasco and Jay Pun. This is Charlottesville Soundboard.